This is BirdieCast. A podcast about making light of life on tour. We're your hosts, professional golfers Maya Schechter and Leslie Klutz. market for some new golf balls, Sniper Tour Series golf balls are here. Their top-performing soft urethane cover balls come in two compressions to perfectly fit your game and maximize your performance. Bring that swagger to the first tee with their patent-pending tube packaging and never have to throw away empty sleeves again. See what the buzz is all about. Shop at snipergolfballs.com and use the code BIRDIECAST for 15% off today. This episode is also brought to you by Chippo Golf. Chippo Golf is one of my favorite golf games. I've had a set for a little while now, and it is the ultimate golf backyard game. Chippo was invented by two guys from Long Island in New York who decided to combine golf and cornhole to create arguably the best yard game ever. Find Chippo on ChippoGolf.com, and BirdieCast listeners can use the code, you guessed it, BirdieCast, for 15% off your own Chippo set. Welcome back to BirdieCast. My name is Leslie, and today I'm reporting live from Rochester, New York. I'm about to go visit with our guest who makes his own golf clubs. I'm excited to get to know him, to see what he does, and figure out why he does what he does. Also, make sure to stick around after the show because we are doing a super cool giveaway and more info about that after the episode. So let's get to it, and here we go. My name is Corey Paul, and I'm based here in Rochester, New York, where your tour is this week. And uh, real nice to have you in, in the shop here and give you a glimpse of what I do day to day. Basically, all I do is make golf clubs and sell them on the internet. That's kind of what I tell everybody to keep it in basic terms. It's much deeper than that, but on the surface, that's basically what I do, is make golf clubs and sell them on the internet. For those of you who are listening, we are actually... Uh, in my parents' house. I do all my work uh, out of my parents' place. Uh, I was telling Leslie, um, I was working on my own. I had a shop in my own house and a, a place that I was living too. But I ended up, I was alone all day, every day. I'm just a lone wolf. So I was alone almost all day, every day. And so now uh, I've moved out here to my, my parents' place to have some social interaction. And they had some extra space that was really useful for me. And yeah, I, I live down in the city, but people, a lot of people think I have like a big shop with all these people here and people tend to get the impression on Instagram way bigger than I really am. And so I remember texting you yesterday, I like to say, just so you know, like this, like, this isn't like a huge operation. When we say small family run business, we mean small family run business. Uh, you know, mom's packing the heads, helping me keep the books. Shout out to my mother right now, because I know she's going to be listening to this at some point, but I basically can't live without her these days. The company has grown and grown and grown and she's stepped up and helped me more and more and more. And that was definitely not lost on me when I decided to put the shop out here. I don't get a lot of visitors here, so it's it's been, it's it's really cool to, to, to have you here and to show this all to somebody. I don't get that chance very, very often. Thanks for having me and yeah, record good, and, some BirdieCast material. Yes, yes. And, uh, you have to show off your your new divot tool. Oh, for that. sure, for sure. For sure. We, we made Leslie a, a divot tool for her to take to her around this afternoon. People that don't know you, where can they find you? So, 
Customer acquisition is in a couple of main ways. The first and foremost is Instagram. It's such a perfect platform for what I do because I feel like the pictures that I post can tell the story. I don't really need to post words. I think people can kind of just immediately understand it when they see it. So I do a lot of advertising on there, partnerships, collabs, and it's, it's, it's grown very organically in that sort of way on Instagram. And then the other main way is actually eBay. And the funny thing about eBay is when I first started this, I did not imagine myself becoming some sort of eBay kingpin. But when you first start out, like you got to find a way to bring money in the door and get your name out there. And so I had the idea of running auctions and um, I noticed that if I ran what was called a penny auction, that I would come up really high in search results. So I started running these auctions, starting each club at 99 cents and been doing it three years now and I've never even come close to losing money on a club, even in the early days. And um, we keep track of our average selling price. And from the first auction I ran back in 2018 in the fall until now, the average selling price has nearly doubled. It's, it it's all happens organically. So I, I actually have almost a thousand followers on eBay who, these are all people who get a notification every time I post an auction all of that. So it's a really great way to steady out cash flow. You know, cash flow is the number one killer of small businesses. And if you're just selling at fixed prices, and especially when you're young, you don't know when those orders are going to come. And so with auctions, I can kind of plan like, okay, like I think I'll at least have this much to work with this week. And it's kind of just built and built and built from there into what, what you see today. So yeah. Yeah, super it's cool. A, I would say Instagram and eBay are the two main ways people find me. And there's, there's other ways too. I mean, obviously forums, golf works, and some others. But um, the overwhelming majority of people are introduced to the brand through either Instagram or eBay. So what kind of clubs do you mainly do? The bread and butter of the company is wedges, and in particular, affordable ones. So when I was uh, working at the custom shop, I became very familiar with where the big brand clubs were being made, how much they were paying for them, and it just made me want to vomit. Like if the, the what these guys are getting away with, you know, masquerading around as a luxury brand when they're selling the cheapest cast metal that you can buy in China, was just kind of made me shake my head, and I just felt like there was a real opportunity to eliminate cost for the end user in sort of a direct-to-consumer fashion you know get rid of the logos get you know no offense don't sponsor tour players and have that big expense I, I really from the get-go wanted to have a, a three three-pronged approach and we were talking about this before we came on here but the first one is better materials so only premium steel you know the entry-level wedges that I make use 1020 grade forged carbon steel which in my opinion is uh, I just love it. It, it's, it sounds great. It feels great. It, it just it looks great. Like it, uh, and, and it's affordable. So first, of better materials, better aesthetic looks, better craftsmanship. Everything that comes out of here is every finish. The, the blue, the black, the stamping. Everything is done by hand. Um, there's no, you know, putting a bunch of heads in some sort of machine and then they come out all shiny and beautiful. Uh, it, everything from the mirror finish, like I said, the, the blues, the multicolor is all done with a torch by hand, by me. Um, so there's that end to it. 
and then the last prong is a better price. So not only do you have the better materials, um, we're not using the cheap cast metal, we're using the forged steel. We have handcrafted aesthetics, they're not just one you know, single look uh, that's being produced by the tens of thousands. Everything's, every, everything, e even the, the minimalist heads have some sort of hand done polish to them or hand stamping or hand torching. We do bring in the laser sometimes, but it's always in combination with hand work. Um, even when we do laser, there, there's hand work to clean up the lasering and to make it look the way it, as clean as it does. And then the last part is the better price. Uh, so all of this at a price that is, even when you know I sell heads, heads only, even when the shaft is factored in and a fitting will still be below what you're paying for a brand new big brand wedge. And I don't want to single out any particular big brand, but you know, $180 for some of these clubs is just insane. Like a wedge, you're bashing it into bunkers, you're just beating the hell out of it. And it's the most replaced club in the bag. Like some pros will get new wedges every single tournament. And so when you have wedges that are $180, most people can't replace those, you know, all the time. And so I've kind of gone on this mission to make quality wedges more affordable and easier to replace. Because of what I know how to do with wedges is enabled me to do some things with irons too. Iron sets are not anywhere near as common around here as the wedges, but some of the skills and tricks that I've developed working with wedges translate nicely to irons. Uh, for example, the torching, you know, having raw iron sets these days is way more acceptable than it used to be. Uh, you know, we walk onto the course with a bag full of rusty clubs, uh, people kind of look at you strange, but I think these days it's much more acceptable. So I do do a, like a decent amount of raw iron sets and, and chrome plated ones too. And, but that's all that finishing, even if we do like a chrome finish, which is not done here, we still do that locally. So once we receive the heads here in their blank format, everything is done locally. So better materials, better aesthetic look, better price is the mission basically that I'm on. And it's, it's been working all right so far. I think a lot of people get it and appreciate the, the efforts to make quality equipment more affordable. You know, I see these tour trucks that the tour, like the PGA guys get to go on to and it's just like, damn, <laughs> it, it, you know, getting new wedges every week and all that. But like, if you're just an average person, like you can't afford that. <laughs> uh, you know, growing up, my family, we didn't have like a ton of my, I didn't have a, a country club membership. I remember guys on my golf team used to call me top flight because like that's that's the only like my parents weren't buying me pro v1 so that's that's for sure number one i wasn't good enough to justify that kind of expense because they were just going to all end up in the woods but it, it's really frustrating when your love for the game is way bigger than your budget you know so i hope that the legacy of this is that you know we make quality golf equipment more affordable and accessible to everyone everyone cool what does a set of clubs go for? Oh yeah, so it's a, it's a large spread. Um, so I run a lot of auctions, like I was saying on eBay. The most I've ever gotten for a three wedge set is almost eight hundred dollars. Nice. But that, that that happened once. That is very rare. Um, what was so special about that set? Honestly, I have no idea. I, I could not believe like that. But it, it for whatever like I've I've found that sometimes when I'm I must get in my head a little bit because I, I, 
I post things, I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if people are going to get this one. And it ends up being like the club of the month. Whereas I've had ones where like, yeah, this one's going to kill it. And it just kind of re- <laughs> uh, doesn't. So you get a wide variety of prices on auction. You know, so- sometimes heads go for 45, 50 bucks. Sometimes they go for, you know, a couple hundred ahead. It's, it all depends on the time of year, how much traffic there is. And in general, the more traffic, the higher the price because there's more competition drives the price up, but obviously auctions are not for everybody. So I have a website where we have a lot of easily accessible, ready to ship product, simple minimalist uh, designs that start at 50 bucks, all heads only so that you can get the heads built to you. And so like I was saying, so if you pay $50 for the head, most big brand wedges these days are about $175. You still have $125 to play with before you're going to be what, what something off the rack for a, a big, big brand is going to be. So I get a lot of guys who want to try their own stamping, ordering those heads. I get an equal, if not more amount of people who just love the minimalist aesthetic and don't want to pay a fortune for wedges that they're bashing into the ground and basically abusing. So it, it's a very broad range. Then the, the Japan stuff, the Japan forging is easily the most expensive. Like the hand ground stuff that I do, like if, I, if I'm grinding the head from scratch, from the raw forging, I mean, that's never less than 200 a head. Like it's just, there's just no way to make a business out of it charging any less than that because they just take so long to, to make. You got to sit there and, you know, step by step by step, you know, grind it down to shape and weight. And so, you know, to scale this, I've turned to having the teams in, in Japan and uh, in China do the grinding and shaping for me, and then I'll take it from there basically because I mean I'd, I'd drive myself nuts if I was grinding every single head I sell from scratch. and I wouldn't be able to service as many people there's no way to scale this if I'm the only one grinding to shape and weight and, and most people don't care who ground it to shape and weight there's, there's, there's a handful of collectors and stuff who do but in in general the bread and butter of the company is the affordable wedges the, the minimalist ones even the auction ones even when the auction ones go for a hundred dollars a head you still have that 50 to $75 ahead to play with before you're gonna approach the price range of a big brand. So um, you've got something that's unique, one of one, handcrafted, and in all likelihood, you will not spend what you would spend getting something off the rack from a, a, a big brand. So yeah, big big spread in prices, but we wanna cater to everybody. We want you know, the, the hardcore nerds who love the Japan stuff, like, you know, like, like kinda like me, I can cater to those people, but the, I can also cater to the guy who's playing, you know, a couple rounds a summer and, you know, wants some nice clubs, but doesn't want to, you know, maybe have a Miura or, you know, one of these brands that are, you know, 300 a wedge or, you know, name, name your price. So I am to be as accessible to as many people as, as humanly possible. And so that's why you see like a really big range of prices. So when someone buys a head, for let's say a wedge. So it's just a head that they get. So where do they go to find a, a shaft? Well, so my hope is that they go see their local pro. I feel like there's been this notion in the industry that this vague term technology is going to save us from our swings. And it's just not, <laughs> like, especially with wedges. Like I, I do believe the, the, the longer the club, the more I believe in technology. So driver, I would say, yeah, te- te- technology, all that stuff is important. But like, 
it doesn't matter if you have your twist face or whatever marketing term is being thrown at us these days. Like if, if you don't have a good swing, you're going to spray it. Like does, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So my hope is that by selling heads only, it encourages people to go get fitted. And we were talking about this before we came on here. I feel like one of the most important things you can do, even if you're a beginner is get your clubs fitted to your body. You know, the, the clubs that I, I play should not be the club that my sister's, my sister plays should not be the clubs that you play. Like we all have different bodies. We all have different strengths. We all have different, everything, different hand sizes, different arm lengths, different everything. And the notion that we should all be playing the same kind of shaft, like there should just be the standardized assembly never really made sense to me. And I, I really hope that as we go towards the future, that people kind of start going back to their local pros more and getting a lesson and getting their clubs fitted to them. So that's where I hope they go. But a, a lot, of, a lot of people just build them themselves. They'll order the ferrules, they'll, they'll order a shaft. You can buy shaft pulls off of eBay. Like the, the big brands, like I was saying, they, they make you buy fully shafted clubs. You can't order heads only for most of the big brands. So shaft pulls are really common on eBay. A lot of my customers will just order some shafts that were yanked out of a big brand head. And, and put them in mind. There's a lot of different ways people go about it, but my hope is that most people will actually go see a professional and get themselves f properly fitted. It was a big decision when we were first starting out. Is like, do I do the full assembly? And I was at first, but I was like, holy crap, like there's only one of me. I'm spending just as much time putting these damn things together and ordering them and keeping track of everybody's, like this guy wants an X stiff and plus, an inch and a half this guy wants a regular cut down an inch and a half and having to keep track of all of that was just i was just like no <laughs> like i'm i i will deal with the head and i can hook you up like i i, I do work with a builder if like, I, like for example on ebay the other day i had this guy who lives in the middle of the desert and doesn't have a pro around to go to so i do have options for if you're in a spot where there isn't a reputable builder around but most big cities including even here in rochester have several places where you can have a competent pro professional build your club. They can swing weight it, cut it to the right length, put it together properly, line up everything straight. Um, so, so yeah, it, it gives people a lot of options when you go head only. So other than clubs, you also have some accessories that you do? Yes. Yeah, so um, a lot of people ask, you know, why is it, why isn't it Corey Paul golf or uh, so why isn't golf in the title? Well, my end game here is that I really hope to expand beyond golf someday. I've only done it really one time. I, I made some wine stops uh, a few years ago, but I feel like the skills that I'm learning and plan to learn in the future are applicable to other things. And I hope that the term functional art can really, like, open other doors someday down, down the road. I mean, we all have lives outside of golf and I feel like I'm developing a skill set, and the company in general has a skill set that could be useful to things other than golf. Definitely. I've dabbled, uh, with, with divot tools, ball markers, uh, the wine stops, but especially divot tools and ball markers that especially just kind of feels like a, Hey, me too, kind of thing right now. There's so many people 
making ball markers and divot tools these days. I think, you know, with the success you've seen from guys like Tyson Lamb and some other people that it's incentivized a lot of people who have CNC machines and and the means of making these things to hop in and try to, you know, do it too. And we want to stick to unique approaches that haven't really been tried yet. And so I don't, I, I have made some accessories, but it's not really a, a focus going forward. The focus is more, hey, how, how can we be useful to you outside of golf? How can we make, what, what, what other ways can the term functional art work for our customers? How, how, can, how can we be useful to them in a way that we aren't right now? Uh, so that's, that's really more the focus going forward. Uh, it's not so much on accessories, but trying to figure out ways the term functional art can apply to our lives outside of the golf course too. So we'll see where that, we'll see where that goes. But for now, we're just focused on the golf. It's kind of like how you know Jeff Bezos starts Amazon selling books, knowing full well that he hopes it's the everything store one day. And I think functional art can apply to so many things. I mean, you, you could call a Ferrari functional art. You could call you know my iPad functional art. Uh, I think it's so generic that it leaves a lot of avenues. So we'll see. Here is Maya with a quick break from our sponsor. Do you need live coverage for your tournament or want to compete in a live match play event? Check out Junior Golf Live on Instagram at JuniorGolfLive and JuniorGolfLive.com. About the wedges and the irons, have you done any testing in terms of like spin rate compared to other clubs? Or Yeah, um, so obviously I've taken them myself on the simulators and in my, for myself, I'm, they're pretty much identical. Like I said, with wedges, I'm really having trouble seeing how, what more technology there is to add to them. Like for me, the shape and the material it's made out of is a hundred times more important than whatever quote unquote technology is in, is in the head. And I've found that our spin rates and everything have been extremely comparable to everything. So you look at our 1020 heads, they're our basic ent- entry level head. It's the same lie angle, same weight, same general shape. The leading edge is similar, same hosel size. Every single spec is pretty much dead on to the big brands. And it just feels like the big brands are, are running out of things to put into their wedges. And I, I feel like there's, there's not a lot of places left to go. And I, I see that when I go on these four sites and track mans, and see that my basic, you know, no logo, simple wedge is keeping up just fine with, you know, the big brand stuff. And, you know, I, I, I don't sell to a ton of scratch players like yourself, you know, super serious players, but I, I do have a handful of friends here locally that play in serious local tournaments and, and all of that. And, and they've been absolutely fine. They've, they've started playing either my Japan stuff or the 10, 1020 stuff. Uh, one guy in particular who was really good, he, he started playing the 1020 heads and I offered him Japan stuff, but he, he liked the 1020 heads so much that he ended up going with those. And so I've seen no shortcoming that would be overly debilitating to our, our products. I mean, the, the, almost always the first comment I get is like, wow, these spin so much more. And I think that's a combination of like the soft steel and the raw finish. I do think it, it is 
a little bit more in people's heads than they realize because like you go on the, the simulators like you're not getting that much more spin with a raw finish I, I know a lot of blogs have done testing like is this whole raw finish thing bs or is it legit um, and i think the general consensus that we're arriving at is that it's really only beneficial in wet grass um, having that rougher surface can help in wetter conditions but in general you're not going to get a ton more spin with a raw finish uh, but regardless that's overwhelmingly the first comment I get from people is like man this like I, I hit it on the green it's it's like hitting it onto a piece of velcro it just sticks or it spins really easy or uh, what have you and then the feel and the sound of the of the raw steel there's no chrome or nickel on them so you get that just nice uh, I, I'm trying to find a way to describe it but you, you just know like once you People say all the time, well, once you switch to raw wedges, like you just can't go back. Like and you won't, because it just it feels better, it sounds better, and depending on who you ask I me, mean, some people will say there's no difference in spin rate, blah blah blah. But I feel like there is a difference, especially in in wet conditions, like early in the morning, grass is wet, but extremely comparable to all big brand wedges. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I've never confirmed this, but I know for a fact there are certain big brands that. You got two different brands being made in the same exact factory. And I would not be surprised at all if some of the big brands were made in the place where I'm getting my 1020 heads from China because they send me these books with all these different molds in it and they will literally use pictures f from the big brands and just take their logos off of it. <laughs> it just makes you laugh. <laughs> And, and these people, they just keep raising their prices up and up and up. And meanwhile, I know full well what they're paying for these things. And these clubs that are costing, that are costing us 175, 180 bucks are costing them, I mean, most of them are less than 15 bucks, fully assembled too. Like, it, it, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a wormhole that we probably won't go down today. But to answer your question, sum it up, extremely comparable to the big brands. I've really tried to pay attention to that and make sure that we are equal or better than each big brand out there, especially in materials. Like uh, we, I will never use cast metal here, uh, forged steel only. Yeah, so going towards the future to scale, do you think you have the infrastructure right now with the website and the eBay auction? Do you see that you know, kind of going into Yeah, uh, especially the website, I mean, I'm trying so hard not to have to go through the process of hiring people and, and all that. Like I'm always trying to figure out ways to do more without making more quarries. Um, so I have a business partner here locally, Blazing Lazen Studios on Instagram. We've been together since, the, since day one. A childhood friend of mine, his name is Derek. Him and his wife, Jen, have been really super important part of all of this. The micro-milled faces that you've seen on Instagram, he's been indispensable in coming up with a lot of these laser concepts that we have. So the laser is a big part that can really, can really make this scalable. Like those micro-milled faces, you know, we can make dozens of those in, in one day. And because of some past experiences, I'm really focused on growing this company through the use of my profits and not through the use of debt. Back in the day when I first started, the, the first custom shop that I, that I did, you know, you're just throwing everything on credit cards and you gotta do what you gotta do to get started. But we've kind of taken a more 
cautious approach and are just kind of going step by step by step. But we've never had more of me and yet the company revenues continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. But we're really starting to reach a point where, you know, it's not going to be me handling the, for example, the minimalist orders off the website anymore. Like right now I'm stamping in all those lofts, polishing them up before they had go. Like I, all those minimalist ones you see on the website, I'm still handling all of those. And you know, like my, my mom comes in to help with shipping sometimes. So when we say like we're a fall, small family run business, like we are the definition right now of a small family run business, but we've got some big dreams. And um, I think if you look at the traje trajectory we're on, you know, someday we'll have this whole just buffet of, uh, of different steel types, head shapes, different simple aesthetic looks that are all available at any time you can do simple customizations. You know, I, don't, I don't think custom is a really big part of our future, but simple things like getting your initials in your in your wedge, choosing what paint fill color. You know that that, that stuff is is more reasonable. But in terms of people wanting me to like recreate looks I've made for auctions and stuff like that, a lot of the looks I I do can't be exactly recreated. So custom isn't really a big part of our future. It's more that affordable, good quality, good craftsmanship avenue of, of, of wedges that in particular and, and irons too that is more the the focus going going forward and like i said i really hope the legacy here is that we really start this i don't know if you want to call it a trend or a belief system that when it comes to the shorter clubs in the bag the materials and the shape and the craftsmanship matter a lot more than you know progressive cgs or whatever marketing gimmick is being thrown at us these days um so yeah that's really what i'm focused on the, the legacy being I, I think there's just a lot of opportunity there especially with wedges to you know make things more affordable without sacrificing quality without sacrificing looks like there's this belief out there like a 50 dollars wedge must look like a walmart wedge or something like that you know and that does not have to be the case and so yeah that uh, that's really the focus going forward is is making this more more accessible, more uh, open to more people. Uh, you can't have $180, $200, $300 wedges in mass. Like it just, like people can't afford that these days. Like if, if you're our age, you know, you're 30, 31, you've got kids just starting out. Like, oh my God, like I, I've, I've literally had people like send me money orders because they want to hide from their wives because their wives are so mad at how much their golf clubs cost and you just look at the prices for everything are rising these days and, and i think that golf is not essential for people so golf kind of like golf clubs kind of you find people playing clubs that are 10 years old 15 years old they buy clubs to keep them forever because they're so damn expensive and they don't need to be and not only do they not need to be so expensive, they can you can keep that same quality, if, and if not, make it better. Um, and I, I, I just really believe that. And I, I hope, uh, you know, as we go forward, a lot of people will believe that too and, and support us and support that mission of, uh, you know, not having crazy expensive clubs that aren't pieces of crap either. Do you think you'll ever be in a storefront? Yes. Uh, absolutely do want my own kind of call them like like a gallery like scotty cameron has his gallery down in southern california i definitely could see the day where you know you have this little studio maybe it has like a foresight in there 
bunch of shafts and then just a whole wall of different kinds of wedges, irons. Down the road, I really hope to have you know different shapes, different metal types, different combinations of those two things uh, in both wedges and irons. You know, some people, for example, on their sand wedge, love an M grind. Some people like the F grind with the perfectly, you know, more flat bottom without that heel toe relief. I, I really think focusing more on the shapes and the materials is a way better way to go than trying to add quote unquote technology to clubs. You know, you could you could have ported wedges, you could have wedges with tungsten plugs in, in them. So yeah, that absolutely would love storefronts and stuff someday, but someday we're working towards that right now but i'm definitely not going to be going and taking out loans and going into crazy debt to try to get there sooner like we're really focused on building using our profits and really having a healthy foundation that isn't laden with debt and i've seen more than a few businesses get in trouble of uh including some i own in the past step by step so with the wedges you talked about, the different grinds, do you have one grind available right now or how does that work? So with the 1020 wedges, yes, they are only, for each club type, gap, sand, lob, I'm only offering one grind, but in my opinion, it's the most versatile grind that will work in the most amount of scenarios. Like, I'm not sure what your opinion is on this, but like, that heel toe relief is to me just so important because you gotta be able to open the face up. You gotta be able to lob it out of rough. You, got, you gotta be able to get the ball out of thick grass, out of thick sand. And then the gap wedges I have right now are all, I'd say comparable like the F grinds. You don't really need a ton of heel toe relief on a, on a gap wedge. So to keep the cost down, I can't be doing a custom grind for every single customer that comes in the, in the door. So you have to go with the design that you feel can be used in the most situations. So we've really, I mean, I've scoured, you know, all these different factories overseas and the ones we're using right now are the ones that I felt were the most versatile and the most, that, that they would be the most useful to the most amount of people. Now I do do, I do know how to grind clubs from scratch. So, you know, I, I, I can do that but I'm not doing a ton of that these days. It's not scalable. You know, I, I can't, if I'm the only one grinding, it's just, it's not scalable. And then I would love to see the day where the, the forging, like taking the hot billet and pressing into the mold and just the, the clubs are made here in the U.S. again. And there's, there's a lot of, re- we won't, I just won't go into them today, but there's a lot of reasons that making clubs has, gone overseas but to stick to the question here with with grind types and what grinds i have yes i do have to basically stick to one grind per type so gap wedges are f grinds and then the sands and the lobs are more similar to m grinds with that heel toe relief and kind of the half moon shape behind the leading edge so you do have that flat spot if you do want to do take a full swing with it but the, the, heel, the heel toe relief in particular is extremely important. And, and the wedges from Japan, although not anywhere near the same, are still very similar. You know, heel toe relief. If I am messing with grinds, it's almost always on the Japan stuff. You know, I, I will get people asking, hey, can you just bump the bounce up, up for me on my lob wedge? And so like, I, I can do that. But custom grinds and stuff like that, like, it, it's just so hard to scale that. You would need like an army of grinders in here to be able to service everybody 
and until certain things happen, I, I just don't see that as plausible. Like it, the cost is just going to be too much. And I think for the majority of golfers, there are grinds that will work 95% of the time. So yeah, and I know a lot of pros, like they might have a different grind set up every week, depending on what course they're playing at. Like if they're playing at a really wet course with long, thick rough, they're probably gonna have a lot of high bounce wedges in there. But if they're going over to, I don't know, the desert where it's firm and dry and all that, they're probably gonna ask their guys for lower bounce stuff. But you know, our customers aren't doing that. Like they're mostly playing in their hometown and so they can just have one thing that, that sticks with them and works. There's no need to have that extra cost for the extra grinding work. Yeah, I mean, I played the same wedges all year, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when you get to the LPG, like oh. someday when you're a superstar on the LPGA tour. Yeah, maybe then I can ask my, yeah, my yeah. rep, like, hey, you'll have, you'll I need have a couple a, different sets here. Yeah, you'll be hopping on the truck every week and be like, <laughs> where's my There's truck? actually no truck on the LPGA. There's just what? one guy named oh. Paul as well yeah. and um, yeah he comes out with his truck just a trailer he drives it around the country and he's basically our club prepare guy wow yes yeah, so all the brands kind of chip in for this guy Paul that kind of stinks because if you, yeah. go to, you go to the PGA tournaments and you just see these trucks it's, just lined up it's uh, wild. and they're, they're like luxury homes inside some of them like you could, if you want to know where all that money you're, you're spending on your $500 driver and your $185 wedge Want to know where that money's going? Just go look at the tour trucks at, at the PGA stops. Yeah, PGA, and, not LPGA. Yeah, or not yet. I don't that, know. Yeah. I, I hope so, and I really hope that the game continues to to see the growth amongst younger women that it's seen in recent years. I feel like in recent years, it's really kind of ticked up in popularity amongst younger women, and I hope that my company can have you know can help in that and you know providing new new golfers affordable clubs and all that but in a general idea like i, I really hope that that the women's side of things continues to grow like there's just not enough girls that are into golf so ho hopefully some days you guys have all the benefits that the pga guys have in terms of you know, the, the tour trucks from each brand lined up at your tournaments with they're fully staffed ready to assist you guys I, I that's, that's interesting I didn't I did not know that the LPGA didn't have that kind of luxury yeah on, I would think at the US Open maybe the KPMG you know the majors they would probably put more effort into it but yeah. like the regular events yeah. yeah it's just Paul usually yeah, and Paul's super nice because when the LPGA is not playing domestically in the US he'll try to drive to a Symmetra event oh. so we get to see him about twice a year and he's probably the busiest weeks of, of the year for him because all the Symmetra players yeah, want to get their the, clubs re-gripped and yeah, his, his, his poor little trailer is probably just overflowing with oh yeah clubs from and he has everybody. very strict rules like you can't come inside a trailer if you have woods the head covers need to be off before you give it to him oh yeah yeah oh, try yeah. to keep track of everything totally very well, organized I, I certainly hope that you guys have more uh, resources given to you from the bigger brands uh so someday yeah. yeah we'll see it's slowly changing yeah but it, in the meantime it's it's just great to to have you guys here this week uh for people listening rochester used to have a big lpga event called the wegmans lpga and 
to be honest, I have no idea why that died. It died a couple of years ago and... Probably money, I would think. Yeah, yeah. It, it usually comes down to that, doesn't it? But it's, it's just it's great to have have a, a pro event back here in Rochester and just seeing all these faces like, like you have just been Instagram friends uh, in town for the week is uh, super cool. And I, th- I think our community here in Rochester is, in my humble opinion, a very underrated golf community. Like people don't realize like we have more golf courses per capita here than a lot of the warmer weather states down south. We have Oak Hill here, going to be hosting the PGA uh, Championship in, I think it's 2023. 20, and we also hosted it in 2013 and before that in 2003. So we really we've got a great golf community around here. There's so many courses uh, here in town. It, it's just great to, to see a pro event coming through. Yeah, I heard it's the 45th year in a row that they've hosted an LPGA or Symmetra event wow. here. So that's pretty long time yeah yeah and um i remember uh the last time i played at brooklyn my friends were talking about your event and and how you guys just come in there and just clean them out like you guys, <laughs> they're like these chicks will come in here and beat our pants off like like they are so good and uh it was, it was funny to talk about with them do you have i'm guessing that it's 90% of your clientele are guys. Is that- yeah, so I do have stats on that and it really breaks my heart. Like it, it it'll like I'll run a promotion on Instagram and so I see the stats behind the scenes and some of them like 97, 95% is 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 males interacting with it in particular males 20 to 40. It it, it boggles my mind like like how little female participation there is and like I, I just wish I wish there were more Leslie's out in the world I wish there were, were more just more younger women who are in into the game and um, I think in terms of like how do you expand the game of golf how do you get more people into it I think first and foremost we, we start with with women and we start with uh, maybe uh, minorities who have not had the access to golf courses and golf equipment I, I, I think you guys are just so important to growing growing the game. And with that statement, we'll round up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and of course, Corey for letting me visit today. We know we've been gone for a little while, but we're planning to do six episodes this year, uh, every other Tuesday starting today. Next, we're talking to the Tour PT. So that's next episode. And about this awesome giveaway everybody's been waiting about. Uh, so we actually got a wedge from Corey that he custom made himself. It's a one of one. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Uh, and it's a custom birdie cast wedge. It looks really cool. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, it should be the album cover of this episode. So you'll see a picture of it right there. So that is up for grabs. If you don't see that, you can also head over to our Instagram at birdiecast. Now, how can you enter this awesome giveaway? How can you win this so desired 52 degree custom birdiecast wedge? Very simple. If you're listening to this episode on iTunes, you basically go back to home, go back to birdiecast and you leave a review for us that's how you can win and then in two weeks for our next episode we'll scroll through the reviews and pick one of them and we'll announce it next episode who the winner is also head over to our instagram at birdiecast because we're also doing a separate 
giveaway there on, under the same post, under the same post. But we're doing a separate giveaway there for two mystery boxes. Uh, so go check that out. Two mystery boxes for grabs and of course the ultimate wedge through the reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening and see you in the next episode of BirdieCast. <laughs>